Are you ready this morning? Yes. Here we go. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Now, backing up a little bit, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream. God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream in response to the interpretation of the dream regarding a statue with a head of gold that Nebuchadnezzar was told was him. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a 90-foot statue of me made out of solid, solid gold. We're going to put it six miles outside the city of Babylon. And when the music plays, everybody has to bow to this statue and worship. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we ain't bowing. We're not doing it. Now, we're not going to have time to examine the whole of chapter 3, but we're going to highlight three main sections that will help us with the time in which we live. Now, we've been talking about the fact that we're trying to all get through mentally and emotionally the personal aspects of what we've been dealing with with this pandemic. How to keep our brain engaged, how not to be overwhelmed with emotion in the midst of all the things that so many are experiencing today. And we're going to stay the course, yet at the same time shift gears a little bit, as we're going to talk about the corporate impact of what we've been seeing going on. In other words, we're going to deal with the church and how the church corporate needs to respond to what's happening in our world, but more specifically here in the great state of California. And uh, it was interesting, having spent uh, those uh, four and a half days in Texas, we spent four and a half days meeting people from California. <laughs> Some from right here in Orange County. We got introduced to people over and over and over. And uh, one of the highlights of the weekend for me was at the conference, I said, listen, I know that some of this is going to shock you, but I love California. And there was a huge gasp in the audience, like, how could you love California? Well, I was born in St. Joseph's Hospital over in Orange. This has been my home my whole life. I love California. I want to see God save California, and I believe he can do it. Amen? Well, listen, just as he does what only he can do, we have to do what he has called us to do in response to what's going on in the world today. We've talked about this. I'll remind you this morning. Churches are being forced today to limit their indoor attendance to 100 people while protests, riots, and looting are not just protected, they're allowed without any kind of restriction. Pastors today are being threatened with arrest which is, by the way, a violation of the First Amendment and our rights to free speech and the exercise of religion without hindrance from the government. Churches are being fined into submission, and our own governor has stated that the church is a high-risk, low-reward entity, and therefore they need to be restricted to not singing, not having communion, and worst of all, short sermons. <laughs> I will not bow to that edict. Amen? Now, the battle lines are being drawn. We've been talking about that. And not only is the future of our country at stake, the future of the church in America is at stake. Now, let me give you a couple of things that will launch us in our direction for our time in Daniel 3. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to, what's it say? Is it up there? It's not up there? Okay, take a guess. Governors, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God 
that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not living uh, using liberty as a cloak for vice or not causing or allowing our liberty to cause us to sin but as bond servants of God honor all people love the brotherhood fear God honor the king now the same Peter earlier said this in Acts 5.29 when confronted by the Jerusalem council and told and warned not to teach in Jesus name Peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey God rather than men Peter says we ought to obey God then later he says we ought to submit ourselves to the ordinance of man to kings and governors so here's the question how do we know when to do what when is the right time to be civilly disobedient, so to speak? Many of you may be familiar with a John Steinbeck, a John Steinbeck novel. I'm sure you've heard this saying. He wrote a, a novel titled Of Mice and Men. And it's a story of two migrant workers trying to make their way through the Great Depression here in California. They made a movie about it. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called The Grapes of Wrath. Now, the title of the novel comes from a line for, uh, of a poem by a man named Robert Burns. And the line reads, the best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry. Now I told you that for absolutely no reason whatsoever. This has nothing to do, well it has a little bit to do with our time this morning in that I want to use the same contrast that Steinbeck was using between the two. A mice and a man are two different beings and he implies that they both have their plans well there are two different beings who have their plans today and i'm going to borrow that format for our title and our title is not of mice and men our title is of god and governors of god and governors first of all unlike the poem let me say this god has no schemes he only has plans and all of his plans work and all of his ways are perfect. His plans never go awry. People, however, go awry when failing to follow God's plans. And governors who do not follow God's plan do have schemes. And those schemes are going to go awry. So how do we know when it's time to obey God and disregard the ordinances of man when God has told us to obey those who are in public authority? So let's find out this morning from three men who disregarded the directives of the most powerful man in the world, who apparently Governor Newsom thinks he is, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. So would you stand and read with me, please, from Daniel chapter 3. We'll start with verses 1 through 6 and then have two other visits in the chapter. Let's pick it up in Daniel 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits, or 16 by 90. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you, 
It is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So, we'll find out what happens next as we go this morning. And Father, we are grateful for your matchless word. We thank you for the timeliness of the text we'll visit this morning. And help us, Lord, to respectfully, Lord, make decisions that are pleasing and glorifying to you, even when they defy edicts given by those in places of power. So we thank you for our time. Speak to us and give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in requiring that this list twice repeated of officials bow down before the image Nebuchadnezzar had made of himself, he was doing two things. One, he was recognizing all other officials recognize him as the sovereign and single authority in all the provinces of Babylon. Secondly, as it applies to you and I, he was setting himself up as the ruler over all religious activities within the domain of his realm and kingdom. Now, if we were to translate that into our day and fast forward into 2020, a year I know we're all anxious to put behind us, Amen. That would be the equivalent of telling the church when they could meet, how they could meet, how long they could meet, and what they do when they meet. Now, I reported this to you some weeks ago. I'll repeat it again this morning with another story. It was recently reported by the Barna Group that one in five churches facing permanent closure within 18 months due to the COVID-19 shutdowns. And this, again, according to president of the Barna uh, Group, David Kinnaman. Another story that broke of late, a Georgia church closes two weeks after reopening as families come down with the coronavirus. And the Catoosa Baptist Tabernacle, an independent Baptist church in Ringgold, Georgia, restarted in-person services on April 26th. And church representative Joan Lewis told the Christian Post they decided to suspend in-person worship services for the foreseeable future on May 11th after learning several families had contracted the virus. Now, one thing I want to draw your attention to. If you had the flu in 2019, you shouldn't be going to church. Hello? If you had a cold in 2019, you shouldn't be going to church. Why? to consider other people's health and not spread it, right? right? Now, are we smart enough to do that? Yes. Well, uh, 12 of you are. I don't know what happened to the rest of you. <laughs> are we smart enough to do that? Yes. Listen, I picked 2019 for an example because, oddly, nobody has the flu anymore. Everybody only has COVID-19. Have you noticed that lately? Now, it's interesting looking back that one of the first things we were told about the coronavirus is that you could be asymptomatic and spread it to other people, meaning you could have no symptoms whatsoever and other people could get it. Well, listen, I got a news flash for you. We didn't know enough about it at that time to make such a claim. There weren't enough people that had it. It hadn't been around long enough to say you could be asymptomatic and pass it along to other people. Yet, what were they trying to do? They were trying to control us. They were trying to get us to do all the things that they're calling us to do. 
We'll talk more about that. So don't check out this morning. You need to hear the whole message. Amen? Amen. Now, listen, I have never, we have never tried to negate the reality of the coronavirus or deny that people get COVID-19 from it and even die from it. People are getting it, and it is tough on those who have pre-existing conditions, and many die, and uh, the death that has been described has been nothing that any of us would want to encounter. But neither can we deny that it has been exploited by people in places of power to control the masses, just like Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do. So do we stay open and leave our physical and economic health in the hands of God? Or do we obey the governor and leave our physical and economic health in the hands of the governor? I don't know. I think God's smarter than the governor. I think God's smarter than every governor. I think we ought to be listening to God. Amen? Now here's another question that has been posed. We're going to kind of take things to the down and dirty this morning and talk about some of the stuff that's being said out there in the world. And here's one of the comments I have heard within the church. Is meeting without social distancing trusting God or testing God? Are we testing God by sitting this close together in a room or as Pastor Jack is or John MacArthur or others? Are we trusting God or are we testing God? Well, here is the point of this. Look at the choice the three men had to make. Obey the government or die. That was the choice of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if forced to make a decision between obeying God or obeying the governor, God is always right. God is more powerful. God actually is the absolute sovereign authority. He actually is in control. The governor has no power to save anybody's life. He has no power to save anybody's soul. And he has no power to heal anybody from anything. But God has all those powers. And therefore, God said this in Hebrews 10, uh, 24 to 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. If you wonder what that means, it means don't stop going to church. I'll let that ripple through the room a little longer. Don't stop going to church, as is the matter of some. But listen to this. But exhorting one another, building each other up, and so much the more as you see what? The day approaching. What is the day? It's the day of the Lord, the great tribulation. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, when you can see the tribulation coming, get to church, be there a lot. So what are governments trying to do today? They're trying to shut the church. Now, why? Because the tribulation is on the horizon. We can see it coming. God said go to church a lot. When you can see the tribulation coming, governors are saying, don't go to church at all or have church online. How can we exhort one another, be there for one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, have fellowship with one another when we're not in the same room together? God says, don't forsake meeting. The governor says, meet, but no more than a hundred at a time. So what do we do? Well, we remember this. Are you ready this morning? There are no circumstances that negate the word and will of God. There are no circumstances that negate the word and will of God. Now, contrary to what many think today, as God's people, we're not stupid. Amen. Amen? We're not stupid. We don't, we're, we're not Christians because we need that sort of thing. Listen, 
I want to go to heaven and not hell. Yeah. And I can't get there on my own. I need someone to take me there, and he's coming to get me in a moment and twinkling of an eye amen. with all y'all. We're going at the same time, amen? Yeah. And we'll forever be with the Lord. But listen, this past weekend, I shook hands with thousands of people. I was hugged by more people than I can count. And as is true with every conference, I got kissed on the cheek by a couple of little old ladies. It happens every conference I go to. And listen, I love every minute of it. And afterwards, I didn't touch my face. I washed my hands with alcohol wipes and then washed them with soap and water. You know why? I'm not stupid. Listen, I am trusting God and I'm trying to be smart too. I don't want to get this, do you? We don't want to get this, and it's real. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, the king said, bow, God said, don't. The men said, I'll go with God said, no matter what the king ordered. And listen, if the governor thinks that people at Costco and Walmart are smarter than church people, he doesn't understand we have the mind of Christ, and we need to toss him out of his ear as soon as possible. And listen, if the choice is between the plan of God and the schemes of the governor, I'm going with God every single time. So let's keep going. You ready? Let's pick it up in 8 through 12. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to these guys, Oh, king, live forever. Was a customary greeting, but I could just tell the tone they said it in. I'm making that up, but you can go along with me. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, specifically by name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. These are kind of the contact tracers of Daniel's day. And at the news of the three men's refusal to bow down, Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He flew into a rage. He commanded the trio be brought to him. He demands an answer as to whether or not they actually refused his order. Then he said to them this in 315 to 18. Now, if you are ready at the time when you hear the sound of the, heart, uh, the horn, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and what? Are we supposed to bow before graven images? No. Absolutely not. We're not even supposed to make them, which I have made good. But if you do not, what? Worship. Worship. You shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, you know, you're right, king. We're sorry. No, no they said, Nebi, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Listen to this. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. 
Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He ordered the in-ground furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. He told those who were commissioned to the task to throw these three rebels into the burning fiery furnace. And those who were commissioned to it were actually killed. And the three men fell down into the underground furnace. They were unwavering in the face of what would seem to be certain death. The fact is, they said to the king, listen, God can deliver us. God can save us if you cast us in the fire. But li listen to what they said, and this is why we pause. If God chooses to let the furnace kill us, if God chooses to let it take our life, we're not bowing to your image. We're not going to bow to your ordinance. Here's why, and here's our second observation. Listen this morning. Bowing to anyone other than God will only lean out of God's will, never into it. Bowing to anyone other than God will only lead out of God's will, never into it. Did not the Lord tell all of humanity not to make graven images? Did he not tell humanity, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me? Yes, he did. Those weren't limited to the Jews. Those are universal standards that God has established for all humanity by which sin and the rejection of God is still defined yet to this day. Now listen this morning, this past weekend, Terry, myself, Mike, my son, the Behold Israel team, Amir and others, rode on jet-propelled cylinders filled with over 300 people and sat on them for over four hours. Now you want to see how ridiculous this is? We had to social distance before we got on the plane to sit two inches apart. Does that make any sense? Well, of course not. That's just how ridiculous all this is. Every flight was completely full, and yet rooms like Pastor Jack's that seat 3,000 people, according to the governor, can only have 100 people in it at a time. And they're 15 or 20 times bigger than an airplane. Now, you can sit on an airplane shoulder to shoulder with a mask on, but you can't have church. Something tells me something's up. Now, there are times when we have to say no to those who are in power and obey the word of God, and we are in such a time. I'm not going to say I believe we are in such a time. We are in such a time, and the evidence is all around us. And listen, consider this. Are we hearing a lot about socialism today? Yes. About the government being the provider for all things to all Americans and other people? Well, let me tell you something. There is no place for Christianity in socialism. Because the government becomes God. The government becomes the provider of all people. The government becomes the health care source for all people. They become the moral code definer for all people. And they become the activity authority for all people. The government becomes God and they must be bowed down to worship. And there's no place for Christianity in socialism. And listen, the most important statement in the trio's rejection of the king's edict was this. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And then they say, but even if that's through death, we're not going to serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, if refusing, listen close, you still here? Yes. Listen close. If refusing to bow puts our health at risk, we're still going to choose God over the king's edict. Now, let me remind you of a 
group of famous verses, a pair actually, from Joshua 1, 8, and 9, after the Lord told Moses, or told Joshua after Moses' death, as I was with Moses, so too I will be with you. Then he told him, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it when you have time. How often? Day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Here's the end result of doing what God says. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Then he encourages Joshua and says, remember who commanded you. Didn't I tell you to do this? Do not be afraid. Be strong and of good courage, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Is he with us in church? Yes. Of course he is. Think back on how many times God's people were put in peril because of their obedience to God's word. Joshua, Joseph, Deborah, Esther, Daniel, Jeremiah, all the disciples. Yet somehow today, listen, going to come in close for a minute. You ready? Yes. For many today, self-preservation is more important than obeying God. And yet our examples in Scripture are, you know what? If it kills me, I'm not disobeying God. Amen. Did God say go to church? Yes. Should we go to church? Yes, absolutely. And listen this morning. The church will regain its influence and impact on the world when it gets back to being strong and of good courage and saying, even if God chooses to allow this to take my life and takes me home, I'm not bowing to anyone other than Him. Amen. Because bowing to anyone other than God can never lead us into His will, only out of it. Now, let's finish up before I get excited. <laughs> Verses 24 to 30 will be the last of our time this morning. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Now pay attention here. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, in this case the angel of the Lord, Jesus in the Old Testament, and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they shall not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Somebody say amen this morning. Now, we need to remind ourselves, King Nebuchadnezzar commanded the people in Babylon to exalt him as the religious and sovereign authority over the realm. That means he was knowingly, willingly circumventing the word of God and exalting himself above divine authority. Can you think of anybody else that has done something like that in scripture? Uh, some guy that's called the dragon or Satan said the same thing. I will exalt my throne above the heavens. Now, this is why bowing to anyone or anything other than God can't lead to anything good because it's not of God. Yeah. 
Now, before making our last observation concerning of God and governors, let me remind you that what we just read, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar giving this declaration, nobody, and this decree that he made in verse 29, nobody can say anything against, oh, I actually quit two verses short, didn't I? Well, let's read 29 and 30 just for fun. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language against uh, speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. If you're wondering, that's all bad. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, here's the whole point. All that we just read was made possible because these men disobeyed the king. It was because they said, no, we're going to honor God above the king's edict. And the king wound up saying, listen, nobody has a God like this, like these men. Now, Jesus showed up in the fire. The fourth was like the Son of God was Nebuchadnezzar's observation. And throughout the Old Testament, as I mentioned, Old Testament or Theophany or Christophanies, Old Testament appearances of Christ are often referred to as the angel of the Lord. Now, Jesus is not an angel, never was an angel, but the word angel means messenger, and he was the messenger of God who would appear and communicate with humanity. He showed up and talked with Moses at the burning bush, and the angel of the Lord is throughout the Old Testament speaking of Jesus. Once we get to the new, he's manifested as God in human flesh, and we call him by his name, Yeshua, or Yahushua, or in our language we call him, or the Greek we call him, Jesus. Now, Jesus showed up when these four men, or three men, there's fourth we're going to add in a moment, these three men disobeyed God. Now, was he endorsing their actions? Hello? Was he endorsing their actions? By showing up, was he endorsing their disobedience to a king who commanded they do something to God or forbidden? Yes, there wasn't even the smell of fire on them. Their clothes weren't harmed, and they were loosed as Nebuchadnezzar made the observation. Didn't we bind these guys and throw them in there? And now not only are they loose, but there's four of them. And the fourth is different than the other three. Now listen, let me offer some balance here this morning. I have no problem with people being careful in the midst of this and washing their hands, wearing masks if they feel more comfortable doing so. If that's what you want to do, then that's what you ought to do, and we ought to be supportive of you for doing it. But what I have a problem with is being told we can't come to church. What I have a problem with is saying we have to be limited on the number of people that can be in a room when you can sit on a plane with 300 other people elbow to elbow for four hours and because you have a mask on, it's okay then. Well, if it's okay then, it's okay now. I'm sorry, did that not reach the whole room? (laughs) If it's okay then, it's okay now. Now, I have to say, has anybody ever heard somebody online say something stupid? Once or twice it's happened. I have seen the argument multiple times about those who are saying we should just stay online and they make the argument that the first century church didn't meet in big settings like we have today or big buildings like we have today. Well, the first century church didn't have Bibles either. Should should we get rid of those too? That's just a ridiculous argument. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have any of the things that we enjoy today because the first century church didn't have it. We shouldn't have it. Does that make any sense? 
I have to say that's a dumb argument. And we don't make dumb arguments. We're smarter than that. Amen? Besides the fact, think about when the church was born. There was 120 people crammed into a little upper room when the Holy Spirit fell on them and cloven tongues of fire baptized them and they spoke to the uh, people in the region for the festival in their own languages and the church began to spread. Listen, I don't think God is trying to get the church back into small settings. But what I do think God is doing is trying to get our focus back on Him. And to remind us that he is our strength, that we can trust and obey him. Now, let me add the fourth guy I mentioned a moment ago who had this same kind of attitude. He saw the same end result. And the book is by his name and authored by him. And it is Daniel. <clears throat> and his world-renowned situation that he faced is set up like this. In Daniel 6, 1 to 5, we're told about Darius, the king of the Medes and Persians. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. That's a local magistrate. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the other governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps, because there's no pride or jealousy among politicians, thought it was a good idea. Now the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning what? The law of his God. Is that happening to us today? Absolutely. These government officials conspired against Daniel, proposed to the king that he write an edict that for 30 days no one can pray to anyone except the king. The king liked the idea. The king signed the decree, and it became law. And even though the king couldn't answer a single prayer, wouldn't even know who was praying or what they prayed, because he was a mere human being, he was a man of pride, and he thought it was a good idea that everybody focus their attention and prayers on him. Now in Daniel 6.10, we're told, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room or upstairs, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, which was the customary direction to pray during the Babylonian captivity, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You know what happened? The conspirators went to the king and said, you know that the law of the Medes and Persians is irreversible and cannot be changed. Daniel, whom you appointed, has violated that law. So the king was forced by the governors and their trickery to throw Daniel in the lion's den. Now, one of my favorite parts about that whole story, we're not told a whole lot about what was going on with Daniel, but we are told what happened with the king. He wasn't hungry. He sent for no musicians. He couldn't sleep. He was up worried about Daniel all night long because he knew he was a fool and signed something that was stupid. And he was worried he just killed an innocent man who he saw with great favor. So when the sun was up the next day, 
the king ran to the lion's den to see if Daniel somehow survived and he cried out to Daniel as he approached the pit where the lions would be kept and said, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? And Daniel replied in 6, 23 to 30, uh, 20, uh, 21 to 23, O king, live forever. Again, the customary greeting. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, say no injury. No injury, no injury whatever was found on him. Why? Because he believed his God. Now the next thing the king did was throw the government officials and their families into the lion's den and they did not have the same outcome of Daniel as Daniel because they did not believe in God. So King Darius did what King Nebuchadnezzar did. He wrote a decree saying that the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is to be acknowledged and respected by all for no one is like the God of these men. So don't miss this. In the book of Daniel, two kings, three if you throw in Belshazzar and the feast of his Lord and the handwriting on the wall and all that, who acted favorably toward God's, God's people because God's people disobeyed the king and obeyed God instead. Did God say, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Yes. Did the governor say, we need to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? So who do we obey? We obey God. Now, listen, I'm going with God. And after church, I'm going to stand in the back and I'm going to shake your hands for those who want to. I'm going to hug some of you just like I do every single week. And when that's done, I'm not going to touch my face and I'm going to wash my hands with alcohol wipes because I'm going to be smart as you are. Amen? Amen. Now, listen. I'm going to wash my hands and not touch my face. And when I go to Costco, because they got stuff I want in there, I'm going to put a mask on so I can go in. Because they won't let me in unless I have one. And the grocery store, anywhere else where it's required. But we're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because it's a directive of God. And listen this morning. The governor needs to read the book of Daniel to find out about how God feels with messing with his people. And we need to pray for his salvation. Amen? Yes. God can save even Governor Newsom. Yes, absolutely. Five of you believe that. The rest of you are, are iffy. <laughs> now, here's the last thing. It's just an observation, kind of a, an aside, so to speak. Listen this morning. There is nothing to be gained by bowing to governors, only much to be lost. There is nothing to be gained by bowing to governors, bowing in the sense and context of our text this morning, only much to be lost. Now, we've been talking about John MacArthur and what's been going on with him of late, and he won a major victory this past Thursday in the Superior Court of Los Angeles County. As a matter of fact, yes. A lower court charged him with contempt of court for violating the governor's edict. Well, MacArthur's attorney said, you have to first determine whether or not the governor's edict 
was consistent with the Constitution because you can't charge somebody with contempt of court for something that's unconstitutional. You have to validate what the governor did before you can charge anybody and the judge said, you know what, you're right. So MacArthur's free to have open church for the balance of this year until the court case happens. By the way, MacArthur's suing Newsom too. And that case goes before the Superior Court in January where they're going to find out, according to the United States Constitution and the First Amendment, whether or not what Newsom has done is legal. Listen, we need to remember that the First Amendment binds Congress, doesn't bind the church. The First Amendment says Congress shall pass no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion, press, or speech, and I'm paraphrasing what it says, but that's exactly what the First Amendment to our Constitution says. It binds the Congress from harassing the church or any other lawmakers for that matter. Newsom is in violation of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, and therefore we will obey God, not someone who is breaking the law of the land. Now. God could stop this, just like that. God could stop it today. There could be not one more case of COVID-19 right now forever. He could do that, right? But that's not gonna happen through disobeying him. That's not gonna happen through bowing to governors and not honoring God. C.H. Spurgeon was dealing with the plague that was striking Great Britain he was burying four and five members of his own congregation every day. And because he was a family man, he fell into fear over his own health and was beginning to become dreadful about going to visit sick members of his congregation, let alone doing the funerals that he was doing day in and day out because so many people were dying. And one day he passed the window of a cobbler's shop and he ran across a phrase that was posted on the window from Psalm 91. I want to read to you Psalm 91, 1 through 11, and we'll pause and highlight what it was he read on the cobbler's shop window. Here's a reminder where this whole beautiful psalm starts. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence or plague. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. In other words, God has us covered. His truth, which is His word, shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lay, lay waste at noonday. Here's what Spurgeon read. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. 
for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Spurgeon ministered to dying person, did the funeral of person after person after person without an inch of fear in his heart from that day forward. And listen, Christians have died from COVID-19. Many of you who were at the, uh, the women's conference last year heard Nagme Panahi speak, a wonderful woman of God. Her father died last month of COVID-19. Christians are dying from this. Non-Christians are dying from this. It's real, yes. right? right? But here's what we need to remember. We might wonder and we might question with words like Psalm 91, why would God allow a Christian to die from COVID-19 who's serving him and loving him and wanting to honor him and all these other things? And listen, there's only one answer and it's plain in scripture and it's easy for us to address even though the pain associated with losing a loved one is real for those who have lost them. Listen, there's only one reason that God has allowed any person to die who is a Christian of COVID-19 and that is it was time for them to go home it was time for them to go home and listen if you're God's child he's numbered the hairs on your head he keeps your tears in his bottle he tells us to teach us to number our days through King David he says that our life is in his hands he covers us as we read and uh, in Psalm 91 and therefore in that sense even though things will intrude upon us and be forced upon us that we don't want and the pain is real and it's deep and the suffering is tremendous and painful of those who have lost loved ones to COVID-19 or otherwise we have to realize that God is sovereign and God actually is in control and sometimes his timing is not consistent with ours and certainly not with their own feelings or wants or desires and God has taken some home through COVID-19 and he has healed others there's a young man uh, that was long time a part of this church that was in the hospital not only did he have COVID-19 he had pneumonia too and he was in a coma how, two weeks he's in a coma for two weeks and they they you know he's he's too far gone he's got some respiratory issues and all that and He's hugging and kissing his little girl now because God is sovereign and in his sovereignty chose to heal him. Others, like Nogme's dad, have passed away and gone to be with the Lord. And listen, we need to remember something in times such as these. Going home is never punishment. Amen? And there's nobody who's in heaven who wishes they were back on earth. Nobody. We're the ones that have to deal with the aftermath. We're the ones that have to suffer the pain. The rest are in the presence of the Lord, where Psalm 1611 says, In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Listen, I don't know why God doesn't stop every case. I don't know why God doesn't avert every death or tragedy. I don't have those answers, but I do know he's good, and I do know he's in control, and sometimes he says, time for this one to come home ahead of our schedule. And he's doing it now, because he always has. And it's always been true. There were people that died of the flu last year. Young people. There's been some mysterious, our nephew, 15 years ago, Robbie, died of some mysterious flu some 15 years ago. Young man, awesome young man. I can't understand it. I can't fathom that. So we can't understand all these things, but we do know that God is awesome and in control. He is the all-powerful, almighty God, even right now. So there's nothing for us to do other than obey him. 
If he said go to church, if he said go to church, I'm not giving you the answer. If he said go to church, then go to church. Well, there's a risk factor involved. Yeah. Talk that one to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about a risk factor. Or Daniel. Or any of the others who have faced such things. Listen. God is awesome. God is in power. God is amazing. And if the choice comes down to of God or governors, let's go with God 100% of the time. Amen? The Father, again, we are grateful for your word. We thank you for reminding us that you are the King of heaven. You are the Lord of lords. And Lord, we thank you that we can trust in you even if we don't when we don't understand what it is you're doing or what you've allowed or what you haven't stopped or what you haven't averted. But Lord, help us to be as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say to those in power, even if God doesn't deliver us, we're not bowing. We're not bowing to compromises of your word. We're not bowing to images set up by man. We're not bowing to any of the things that you told us not to bow to because we believe you are the King of heaven. You are the Lord of lords and you alone are worthy of worship and praise. So we give you thanks for our time together today. And Lord, I pray for those who have lost a loved one that you would comfort them. I pray for those who are battling COVID-19 and ICUs and family members that are watching them suffer. Lord, I pray you would heal them. And Lord, we don't deny or diminish the pain and the sorrow of any of our brothers and sisters or even those who don't know you because of this pandemic. But Lord, we acknowledge that you have told us what we are to do as your children and to leave our health and well-being in your hands. So Lord, we place it there even though our emotions and mind have a hard time getting there. We trust you. We believe in you. And Lord, we want to meditate on your word day and night and have good success and be prosperous in all we do. So we thank you. We honor you for this time together in your matchless word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Listen, it's a crazy time we're in right now. Corporately for us as a church, the church corporate all around the world. But listen, there is but one head of the church and he doesn't have a political position. Listen, there's no elections in heaven, Amen. <laughs> but all the elect go to heaven yeah. and you become the elect by believing in Christ, the Savior and Lord. So, hey, all the signs say Jesus is coming soon. If I didn't mention that today, <laughs> Jesus is coming soon. Yes. Amen. So we ought to be ready, looking up, even as we look around for those that we can take with us because that's as it's been said the only thing you can take to heaven with you is people tell people about Jesus this week he alone can save them